Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in person payments. Then, Stripe Tap to Pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Good day, Gopher and Archie and the BBSs and Prodigy and CompuServe and the entire The well? The well. Soul Asylum fans. Yeah, that Soul Asylum (laughs) uh, news group is pretty hopping right now. Uh, welcome to our October 1992 Good Day Internet. We will be uh, doing our, our October edition of Daily Tech News Show uh, in just a few minutes. Um, although I've got to, I've got to do a little research here before we get started. For ah uh, yes, I forget that for, the election. Well, because I'm I'm also covering the election for Channel Two here in Urbana, so I really do need to. Brush up I don't know. I, I'm getting ready for JC after well, uh, after this weekend. So we just had our mock election uh, in second grade, and uh, you know it was really uh, an interesting look and kind of the uh, the tribalism that can develop uh, even amongst uh, youngsters. Tykes my own age. What, what, I, what were the early returns? Uh, so it was looking uh, pretty uh, pretty strong in favor of uh, uh, Mr. Clinton. Um, it's not too surprising. Uh, it's you know it's predominantly uh, kind of a, a, a Irish Catholic uh, neighborhood, so you know uh, pretty pretty mm-hmm. strong uh, Democratic area in yeah. that area. Right. Cleveland, so. Well, well, I just got about? my driver's license. Oh, congratulations, Sarah! Thank you, thank you. I was so worried I was going to fail, but I passed. Oh, First now, I, did you use that workaround that I heard every, all all your friends were saying? Yeah, you go to the yeah. different DMV. Yeah, there's a, there's a big DMV in Santa Rosa, but uh, I've heard that that one's harder uh, for the the behind the wheel test than the mm-hmm. Petaluma DMV. Mm-hmm. So I went to the Petaluma. My mom drove me, and uh, and 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 we used the Ford Taurus, uh, and and I passed with, let's not call it flying colors, but I passed. I I, I am ashamed to admit I did not pass my first time. Uh, this I, I had a female uh, evaluator, and she was very strict about. Uh, my speeds, or rather lack thereof, saying that they would actually be a hindrance to traffic and possibly cause an accident. Because you were going too slow? Yeah, I was kind of cruising at 10 miles an hour, which I thought was, <laughs> 10. was a nice, safe yeah. speed. No, that is not safe. She was right. <laughs> In a residential zone, I think it's pretty safe. But uh, she, did not, she agreed with you, apparently. Hmm. Uh, the great thing about California 
DMVs is they don't test uh, parallel parking anymore. Uh, I'm really dreading that in like they, nine years. It's mm-hmm, going to be, mm-hmm. it's, it just terrifies me. You know? I mean, I have a 1984 Mustang, uh, but it's just, it's just parked. I mean, I just barely drive it here. I, I could walk to my, everything I need to. My brand new car is a 1984 Honda Civic hatchback. Nice. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, that's Bike only cars, what, eight cats. years old. It's not bad. No. Um, hey, I'm just happy to have a set of wheels. My my set of wheels is my dad's truck that he got this summer. Past summer is a gr- it's a gray GMC uh, SLE trim fifteen hundred half ton. Short nice. Time. You know, it's interesting, Sarah. You mentioned the uh, the Civic hatchback. Um, you know, I'm I'm really I've really been impressed uh, with the quality that Honda's putting out. You know, I think you know one day maybe one of those Japanese automakers will you know have one of the best selling cars in America. They- I mean, it'll be a weird day, but. I mean, they already own most of America. Yeah, I mean, you know, the Cal- radios. This is the thing, though. Like, uh, at least with uh, at least in California, a lot of the four by four guys drive Toyotas. Well, if they you tr- remember in uh, Back to the Future, what mm. was Marty McFly's dream car? Right? Wasn't it a? Oh, Toyota? it's true. It was. Yeah. It was a, That's it was, what he was dreaming of. It was an extra cab uh, pickup all the way back four. in 1985, if you can believe it. I don't know. It's we're time is moving by so fast. I mean, listen. Before you know it, it's going to be the year two thousand. When I isn't that crazy? Yeah, I, just, I, I can't even imagine what we'd all be doing. It's like eight I years in your high, we're still in the Cold War. Yeah, I'll mean, be fifteen. Ugh. You don't see movies like Back to the Future enough. I mean, I I went and saw Reservoir Dogs, that new movie that's just out. And it's intense. Rich, you should definitely not see it. You're way too young. uh, Yeah, my my parents are uh, uh, not fans, I have to say. Bob Roberts was pretty funny. I liked that one. I'm a fan of movies that are very whimsical, but very high adventure, like Disney's The Rocketeer, which is based based on a comic book. But at the same time, I'm kind of very skeptical of the cash grabs, like the Dick Tracy movies. Where they try to insert a lot of big name stars like Warren Beatty and Madonna into a project that probably not yeah, best suited for I their know. talents. Death I, that that movie did thing. cause me to want to be referred to as Dick for a while, um, mm. but for some reason my dad yeah, was must have been so proud. Yeah, I, I, well, he was just so cool. He had a Tommy gun. There was a kid that wanted to eat all the time. Um, I mean, you I know. think the last movie I went to that I really enjoyed was Alien Three. Oh, it's got to be. It's uh, it's got to be Batman Returns. It's not nearly as good as Alien or Alien. It's it's a Winona Ryder movie, and it's like Winona Ryder. Mm. I don't consider her sci-fi material, but um, eh, it was all right. I say it's all right. Now, I assume, Rich, you went and saw Tom and Jerry the movie. Uh, You know what? Um, I don't. uh, I don't approve of the even uh, an animated form of the violence. Uh, Mm. I find it uh, to be. You know, just like Dick Tracy and his Tommy gun. That's real. Okay, I don't need. They're not trying to mix messages here. I can understand that real people, real, but that's a cat. I own a cat. Well, folks, uh, I got my mouse pad dusted off. It's time to talk computers. Did you uh, take the ball out and blow into it? Yeah, yeah, I did. Okay, I don't pop it in my mouth. Careful, those things still are like eighty bucks. I don't want to. Yeah, I want to keep it going as long as I can. Uh, Well, is everybody ready then? Yes. I yeah. Am. Yeah. Got my gateway ready to go. All right. Um, 
Well, give it a second here to uh, roll the cassette that we'll be uh, using to mail to, to make the dubs. And here we go. Thanks to everyone who supports independent tech news directly. You can mail your checks to the address at dailytechnewsshow.com slash support. This is the Daily Tech News for October 1992 in Urbana, Illinois. I'm Tom Merritt. And in Sebastopol, California, I'm Sarah Lane. In Cleveland, Ohio, just finishing Mrs. Gibbons' second grade homework, I'm Rich Straffolino. And from California's wonderfully productive Central Valley, I'm the show's producer, Roger J. Once a month, we try to keep you up to date on all the daily events in the world of technology. And today, as usual, we start with a few tech headlines you should know. Rich, start us off. Absolutely, Tom. Uh, Robert Callum at the New York Times profiled the rise of fax mail services from telecom providers. Similar to voicemail, fax mail allows for documents to be collected electronically with the ability to send to more than one party simultaneously eh? and attach mm. voice messages as well. So you kind of get the best of both worlds. Uh, AT&T introduced the service on September 9th with Bell Atlantic, U.S. West, and Ameritech, very useful in my neck of the woods, offering fax mail in select markets. Fax mailboxes increased to 60,000 installed on the year, with an estimated 600,000 installed by 1994. It's definitely the 90s. Costs vary by provider, but can run to about 70 cents per page before regular monthly subscription costs. So I guess the question is, is this the tech that's really going to make telecommuting feasible for you know wider audiences? Uh, what do we think? I like the idea of of being able to, you know, instead of bringing a memo over to you, uh, I could I could just send it to you through the fax. Uh, you pick it up uh, just like you would out of an inbox, uh, and it could liberate us from having to all be in the same location. It's the cost, though. I mean, this is an enterprise only situation here. Seventy cents a page. That is not something I'm going to be using for small businesses, much less consumers. Well, if they can do it so you can pick and choose, because uh, over at my place, we still get a lot of junk faxes, you know, like from from uh, vendors who just send coupons that we'll never use. And really, I don't want to waste the toner on printing out stuff. Well, and the ability to send more than one party simultaneously is part of this, right? I mean, that that can be abused. You know, I, I like faxes, but man, you're still stuck using that paper, and using that heat transfer ink, it's just, I don't know. They, they really need to improve the printing for me because, you know, I, it's great. Well, uh, if okay. You but, yeah. I mean, not everybody can afford a couple thousand dollars for a laser printer, much less making them into to fax mail systems. Uh, hey, I'm putting out there what I think the market would demand, uh, you know, because li- listen, we're, we're moving beyond 486, you know, in, in a short while. So I think technology for faxes can can catch up just a little bit just a little bit but i think it's really interesting to see that kind of investment and to see you know that rapid growth i mean shows that there is a pent-up demand there right i I think that's to me was what was really impressive there i mean uh in 91 we saw i think it was 20 the report said 20,000 uh were installed we're already 60,000 so it's growing 300 percent uh with you know growing tenfold over the next two years um I, i think when we see that volume increase 
we have a, you know, a relatively competitive, uh, at least regionally, you know, kind of telecom landscape here. I don't think we're going to be seeing, you know, a, a lot of, uh, of these big telecoms coming together. So maybe we'll ha- see enough competition in the space that if we see this taking off in, in massive amounts, we see large organizations uh, taking them on, you know, maybe, you know, maybe this, this could be feasible. It would be interesting if you could take this digital storage, which is kind of the innovation that Robert Callum's writing about here, and combine it with electronic mail. Like, imagine if if you didn't even have to print it out on that paper that Roger's talking about, and you could just you could just pass the memo electronically from person to person. Super cheap. But that but would you, require everybody to have a computer, right? And, yeah, you know, you're going to need major telecom to you're going to need major telecom to standardize this, right? We're never it, it, right now electronic mail. You know, it, it's a total uh, disparate landscape where you have so many different standards mm-hmm. out there. I, I feel like you're going to need the big telecoms to really. You know, make 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 this part of a phone. It's the same as a phone call. It's the same as a fax. You don't have to worry about your fax machine being compatible, at least if you're in the U.S. So, right, some some kind of common carrier type situation uh, where everybody allows everybody's documents and and memos to to be sent to each other, no matter what. Exactly. Well, novelist Orson Scott Card just published his last column for Compute Aww. Magazine. Oh, I know. For the last four years, he's been writing game reviews and also giving a lot of criticism for the publication. So in his last column, this is kind of interesting, he calls out the game industry for being overly competitive. And Card mm-hmm. argues that art creates its own audience, and it's just like novels or movies. Video game success isn't a zero-sum ecosystem. So I want to send it out to all of you here on our panel. What do we think of... Of card equating video games with art, do we consider them art? It's uh, it, you know, it's one of those things that uh, I think can be equated to sports. Is sports art? Yeah, it's an activity, and it's something that people can be good at. It's a skilled thing, but is it in of itself art? Now, someone can be art, an artistic player, but is the game? It's you know, does it have uh, the wait, emotive? What does that does it, mean an artistic player? Well, you can if play the, the way is think... an art. Then how is the player artistic? Uh, have you seen have Barry really Sanders cool... run? <laughs> Watch it. It's beautiful. It's poet. It's ballet oh, yeah, on the gridiron. Hello. I'll take Walter Payton any day still. But I'm I mean, old. it's not like we're going to be, you know, uh, copyrighted a dance that was made in a video game or anything. Let's not go Seriously, crazy right. here. But you know, but I, I, I would say that the many video games are whoever made the sky the color it is, and 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 the 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 path I, of the way that it is. I will say this: if you're a fan of the text adventure game popularized by Infocom, whether it's Zork, Wishbringer, uh, the one I just got uh, most recently was Starfall amazingly well-written prose, and it's a game. So, in, in fact, the, the company calls it interactive fiction, right? They don't call it a game. They call it interactive yeah, that, that's fiction. That's been around for a long time, though. And But, I mean, is that... The, the, so, so my question, though, is could that not be part of the argument that Video uh, gaming could be considered art. I don't think Zork is the, is the best example. I mean, it's so old. Take something more current. Uh, games that I'm playing right now. Civilization. Uh, Sid Meier's Civilization, a brand new game uh, that is impressive because it kind of takes the greatness of text adventure but pairs it with strategy in a way that you you couldn't do in just a text adventure because you have the map there and you're you're actually creating worlds from 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 bare bones or sim city 
uh, which is uh, a new game that that allows you to run a city to simulate a city. I I don't know if I would call those art. They're they're almost science. But then when you bring up things like Zork and heritage games like that, it does make me think there's something similar to books. And in Civilization, sometimes I feel like I'm I'm writing world history. So I don't know. Maybe there is an well, art to it. But what about the argument that, uh, you know, this is this is not a zero-sum game. You know, we're less than a decade out from the big video game crash. I have a Magnavox uh, Odyssey 2 sitting in my basement. I still love it. But, you know, mm. you could argue a lot of those people thought it was a zero-sum game. Yeah. I I I dis I disagree that it's too competitive. I I think competitivity competition really does allow the art to 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 become vibrant. Uh, but I think I think I see what Orson Scott Card is is warning us about is that if we over commercialize video games, we'll lose what made them great. Which, yeah. Oh no! Which I just which is the fan base. Commodore announced the Amiga A4000, its first major release since the A3000 back in 1990, which it hopes can compete against the Apple Quadraline and other MS-DOS alternatives. The A4000 comes with a slot installed 25 megahertz Motorola 68040 CPU, up to 16 megabytes of 32-bit RAM, and Amiga's new advanced architecture graphics chips. The latter improves on the A3000's 4096 color palette with true 24-bit color support, up to 16.7 million colors, and up to 256 different colors on the screen, regardless of the resolution. The A4000 comes with Amiga DOS 3.0 with read-write compatibility for MS-DOS, PostScript printer support, and the ability to customize sounds and background images. Pricing starts at $4,100. I love our Amiga at Channel 2. It's what we use for our, our Chirons. It's not a Chiron. It's it's an Amiga when we put up our, our lower thirds and our graphics on screen. And the fact that it can do so much... Uh, is great. The problem is you really have to learn it to make it do what it can do. I don't know if just adding more power is what Amiga needs to stay competitive. I so this is this has always been kind of my argument against Amiga. I love their products. I think they make wonderful devices. And if you are a video toaster fiend, it is a a very superlative product. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, the problem is that their architecture was always an odd compromise between cost and what they wanted to do so that's you know it's the reason why with with uh, <clears throat> with the original amiga the oc at the original chipset you're stuck with chip ram and slow ram uh why you have like a mismatch between the uh the graphics controller as well as timing for the cpu bus i mean there's just a lot of things and it was okay back in the 80s when you know you kind of had to go through those uh, hardware workarounds because the software wasn't there yet. But I mean, if they can really standardize their architecture, that would entice developers to produce more software for Amiga, which has always been kind of their 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 failing point. I mean, uh, even Apple has you know Lotus One Two Three and Microsoft Word on their platform. You don't have anything comparable on I mean, the Amiga. But the, and, and you bring up Apple. There's another failing company. Uh, that could use a boost. And it's so good at desktop publishing, you think it could do things like multimedia, but it, it just isn't good at that. Well, but, it, you know, it's kind of a, an inverse story there because right now all I see 
our Apple devices. We have, uh, you know, Apple IIe's out the wazoo over at Our Lady of Angels. Hmm. All right. That's, that's basically what we use every single day. I think we have like one Macintosh, uh, tucked away in the corner. So at least Apple has, you know, it, whereas, you know, Amiga has this multimedia, you know, kind of niche really nailed down. Apple has this education market, but I think it's, it might be an easier pull if the, if, you know, they can never really kind of nail down and, and really uh, solidify their product line. I think it's easier to go from education out uh, than it is necessarily from this multimedia kind of specialized thing and taking that to a wider market. What really, though, makes me mad with this A4000 is it's a little bit of a mixed message, right? You have all these fantastic graphics capabilities. You have this really cutting edge 6840 uh, Motorola CPU, which is really awesome. It's card based. You can swap those out, um, which is really cool and, and, you know, upgrade your CPU, no problem. But here's what they did. They cheaped out and they're switching over to IDE for their storage mm. instead of keeping I, no, I, I disagree. I disagree. That is a smart move. If you commoditize the parts that make up your machine, you can lower the cost. All right. Commodore has always been in a weird position where ever since the Commodore 64, they've been seen as a home computer and therefore more of an entry level budget type device. The Amiga 4000 a4000 isn't that, right? It's yeah, but designed I think that's the you... problem. I think that the Amiga is a, a an enterprise device. It is a business device. Yeah. And, but it's and run it's by a company. It, but it's run by a company with a C64 mentality, right? There's nothing wrong with the machine. I think it has to do I with I think management. it needs more accessibility. And I guess you make a good point about IDE providing more accessibility, but they're not doing enough of those sorts of things. So I'm kind of with Rich that it's a mixed message. But this is, that's, that's what I'm saying. I, it, it, so it either needs to be... Uh, a, a $2,500 machine that appeals to a mass market. This doesn't appeal to the mass market at this price anyway. Oh, and this is the thing. This is this is going to be Commodore's, you know, make it or break it device. If they don't make it a breakout hit, that company's gone. Listen, gone. it's it, I'm telling you, folks. I see one Amiga in my life. It's at the TV station. I see some Macs in my life. They're all in the labs at University of Illinois. When I look at what's on my desktop, what's on my friend's desktops, it's IBM PS2 3286. It's it's Windows-compatible computers. I think that's just the writing on the wall. PC clones are the future. Mark my words. It's the smartest thing IBM ever did. Uh, did. Rich, tell us the next one. Well, you know, the Amiga may be the past, but the New York Times is a story uh, looking at the future of digital music. Pacific Microsonics has developed a new audio standard called High Definition Compatible Digital, designed to make audio quality sound more authentic while maintaining compatibility with existing compact disc and digital tape players. HDCD would use both an encoder used at the time of audio recording and a decoder for playback for best results. It was developed by Keith Johnson and Michael Flaumer uh, with uh, HDCD uh, using 20-bit samples at a much higher frequency than typical CDs, which record at 16-bit and 4,400, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, 44 kilohertz. Uh, HDCD uses uh, on-the-fly signal analytics and storage to fit it on a standard capacity audio CD, so we're not dealing with entirely new uh, optical format here. Uh, Pacific Microsonics plans to have pre-production devices to engineers for evaluation by early 1993 and a home decoder on the market in 12 months. Um, I don't know about you. I don't have a CD player in the house. I'm still, uh, you know, I still got my Sister Act soundtrack on cassette that I'm really enjoying right now. Um, so, you know, this is this is kind of a lost argument. But for, you know, you adults with all of your fancy compact discs, is there something that's being lost there? I, I Honestly, this is just... Uh the 90s version of quadraphonic sound something that might appeal to uh very niche listeners but i don't think as a broad-based consumer product it's going to actually 
you know, have much traction. Yeah, I only have a cassette player in my car and I use one of those 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 things that you plug into the cassette so that I can use my my compact disc player and put it on the passenger seat. Mm. And I think the sound is fine. I, I just can't I, I can't imagine that that most people really understand what forty four one kilohertz means. I mean, most people go to Pacific Stereo and get like the budget speakers. I mean, you know, you get your little entry level shelf system and you're done. So I don't think most people have a setup to appreciate it anyway. I have a Pioneer CD player. Uh, I got it in 1987. Uh, it still works great. Uh, I don't have a problem with HDCD. I think it's. I think they're rolling it out right, meaning that existing CD and digital tape players would would still have compatibility, even though even if you wouldn't get the full range of sound out of it. So go ahead, make some HDCDs. If they're the same price then I'll buy them and maybe someday I'll upgrade my CD player and take advantage of it. But I'm not going to go out and replace a perfectly good working CD player just to get this, especially when I don't know exactly what CDs are. I mean, I just got done replacing my cassettes with CDs, right? I, I don't want to spend to replace my I mean, CDs with on, HD like CDs. CDs are ridiculously expensive. I mean, yeah. 25 bucks a pop. You know, I bought the latest REM album and I'm done for the month on my, you know, spending. The one thing I'm really glad though is at least they did kill the big tall box for CDs finally. Uh, so you just see the little cases. I you know, really that, prefer that. That, that. That's just a retail I mean, they're starting laziness. To see that. I don't here's, see that everywhere. here's the question I have though Do people really care that much about sound quality? Because hear me out. Everyone agrees vinyl sounds really great, right? It's warm. It doesn't have the, you know, this digital coolness that we hear audiophiles complain about CDs about. But here's the thing. Since 1983, LP revenue has made up a minority of music sales. Uh, last year, it made up just 1.2% of all music yeah. revenue. No, exactly. Tape took over. CD is going to take over from tape uh, at some point yeah. uh, when the cost comes down a little bit. And I, I, I think the bigger argument here is that, yeah, con- like convenience always will beat sound quality. Having a little sound quality is great, but I, I think there's an upper limit to that. And Listen, I, I think CDs also, hit it. Also, ahead, c- cassettes are still the way we can make mixtapes. If I want to record something off the radio and put songs in order that's not just one single album that I'm buying from a particular artist or group, I can't do that on a CD. Yeah. So, yeah, CDs mm. are great and everything, but they do seem like the, you know, it's a, it, it might be a, 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 a a technical phenomenon that 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 goes away. Eventually. Listen, at WPGU, uh, where I still do a music shift, uh, we have about 70% of our library on CD. When I started there um, four years ago, it was less than 50%. I, it is just the wave. And the, the vinyl keeps moving out of the broadcast booth and into the library uh, and is just filling up the program director's office that used to be my office now. Uh, we did a, an REM record release not too long ago at Record uh, record Bar, and uh, there there were cheers when one person bought a vinyl comp- copy at the release, right? Everyone was buying CDs and cassettes. It's just the wave. Yeah, I don't but- know. I- oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Roger. Oh, no, I was just saying REM. I love that. I just bought on math for the people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I heard Dr. Dre is going to come out with a solo album at the end of the year. I don't know. That would be pretty cool, though. That's, that's a cool tip. Yeah. IBM launched a new product line with the release of the IBM ThinkPad 700C. 
This is a pretty cool notebook, guys. It marks a major leap for IBM's portable computer efforts. With DOS pre-installed, the 700C starts at $4,000 and comes with a 25 megahertz 486 SLE CPU, 8 megabytes of RAM, and a 120 megabyte hard disk. Portable. Most impressively... Yes, there's more. The 700C has a market-leading 10.4-inch DTI color display, all in a 7.6-pound, 2.25-inch thick package. So it's really, very thick. Connectivity includes an internal modem, serial parallel VGA and mouse ports, although sadly no PCMCIA. So do we think this whole sleek, small, portable device, computer, futuristic-type thing that you can take with you on the go is going to be the new business standard. I wish I had leftover money from my student loans to, <laughs> to fund this. Like someday the idea that I could have a computer this powerful, just that I could carry around. It's, it's just fascinating. And every once in a while, you know, I'll be on a plane. Uh, I don't get on them that often, but, but when I do, you know, I see these business people with their, with their portables and it blows my mind. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that a portable meant suitcase, right? It had a handle and the keyboard was the top of the case that you carried around. And now you just have these at the display color, color. I know. Monochrome. I don't even have color. Well, I do have color, but I have a color. I have a big bulky CRT. How do you get a 10.4 inch DTI color display and keep it to 7.6 pounds. Well, and on top of all of that, this is a designed object, right? I think we're all used to kind of uh, the luggables. I mean, you look at IBM's previous efforts in this regard. You know, you look at your N33 that they released in Japan. You look at their L40. Mm-hmm. Um, these are, you know, these are luggables. You're not going to be able to set these. On, you know, you, you're going to need a full desk to set these on anyway. Yeah, it's great. You can transport them, you know, to the conference room. You can transport them, you know, wherever you need to go. You can take it home on the weekend. That's great. This is something that, you know, theoretically you could, I don't know, open up and, and start typing on an airplane. Imagine, uh, you know, of all things. Um, so I, I, I think that this is, it, it's not just that it's, it's small. It's not just that it only weighs 7.6 pounds. It's that it's this particularly designed object. The lines are sharp. It, it I mean, and, and when it's all folded up, it's this a perfect little rectangle. It looks kind of like the, uh, the monolith from 2001, right? I mean, you so, can put that in a briefcase. Yeah. Well, Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point on the price performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed, and Haiku is the fastest and lowest cost model in the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who trust Anthropic to keep them at the frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude today. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Stripe tap-to-pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. 
Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. It doesn't have to have a separate case. Guys, what's so amazing about this is you could just use this as your main computer. You don't <laughs> need another computer. How crazy is I mean, that? But who's got $4,000? I was going to say, if I spent $4,000 on a main computer, it would be much more powerful than this. Well, yeah, but I mean, come on. But per dollar. You, 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 you could buy an Amiga for that computer. Price. Right, you exactly. Get, you, you, you break up with your wife. You give the alimony. <laughs> <laughs> I... I'm salivating. That's a, that's all I can say. Is, I, I guess I guess the big question here is: Do we do we think we're going to see other uh, oh, okay. computer manufacturers follow in this kind of design aesthetic? Right. Hey, I mean, this is like a high try. design object. They'll but, try, but they won't be as good. The 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 the, the goal is to get something that's kind of like it. But you mm. know what? I don't care if it drops the price to three thousand dollars. What a bargain! <laughs> Hey, folks, if you want to get uh, the tech headlines we talk about each month uh, every day, be sure to check out our news group, Alt Daily Tech News, uh, and uh, you can get the the links uh, to the news items uh, and, 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 and get them all available. We'll even discuss them a little. So we'll see you on the Usenet. CD-ROMs. Uh, you may have seen them. They're like compact discs for music, uh, but they go in a computer as long as your computer has a CD-ROM drive. That's something we didn't see in the ThinkPad, right? That's something you got to have a desktop for. Uh, the pros of CD-ROMs, uh, 650 megabytes of data capacity. So that's a lot more than you can fit on a floppy disk. Uh, you get CD quality audio. Uh, because it's a CD, you can put CD quality audio on it, something less susceptible to being erased accidentally. You're not going to have magnets erase your CD-ROM. On the other side, they're pricey. Uh, they are certainly not cheap. They're slow compared to your hard drive. Actually, a little faster than a floppy, though, so it's it's a halfway between a pro and a con there. Currently SCSI only for the drives, which is a complicated interface for non-Macintosh machines. And there's really not any software out just yet for the home consumer to take advantage of probably good for games reference things like edutainment software what do you think of cd-roms you guys well with the capacity you mentioned uh something that's along the lines of uh, an encyclopedia where there's just a ton of information that you can access easily like you mentioned tom you need a desktop computer because who's you know got a mobile a computer that would have a CD-ROM no, drive. Nobody has exist, that. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, I could I could see uh, some use cases where there's a, a a ton of information that you're able to store easily, right? Because they're so thin once you have them at home. And 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 yeah, imagine all of the information that you could access. It's it's definitely has a big toe in the waters of archival media, right? If you want to do the big Encyclopedia Britannica. You could cram it on one of these, and you could still have space. You could still have space to put videos, little movies, and things on it. You want to learn about, like you know, dolphins? You have a little picture of them swimming around. 
Uh, you want to know how, like, I don't know, MacArthur talked uh, when he accepted the Japanese surrender? You could get a little clip of that. That would be amazing. What about video? I mean, I, 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 I know that multimedia is, is a big advantage of this because of the space on there. You can actually have a little bit of video. I'm not, not talking about something that will rival a, a VHS tape, but, but, you know, for reference stuff, yeah. for edutainment, like, like you, could, you could show a, a short snippet uh, of World War II documentary footage, for instance. We've got the TV strapped to the cart, Tom, with the VCR underneath. We're good. We don't need this. I'm skeptical. Okay. Yeah, the capacity is great. 650 megabytes. Sure, that's great. Um, how about some access time? Okay. I'm going to be in the next millennium by the time you find any data on that 650 megabyte thing. You're talking about 500 milliseconds. That's like almost you. I mean, you can perceive that. That is perceptible. You can count that out. 500 milliseconds is an incredibly long amount of time to access any kind of information on these. They're not, I mean, then th- those are for the state of the art CD ROMs that we have right now. They're even slower ones and they're all CPU bound. So if you're going to be, you know, hooking this up to anything that's anything less than a state of the art, you know, brand new, uh, you know, 486 or something like that, you're going to be waiting forever for this access time as opposed to something like, you know, don't get me wrong, hard disk, very expensive. Obviously, you can't do anything with it. even a floppy. Uh, you're, right. you're going to be seeing lower access times. What I think is going to be the future is something that we've seen these so-called floptical discs. Have you seen these from inside? Ah, yes, like, you know, optical uh, technology. Yeah. We're, we're talking, you know, they're already shipping these. They were shipping them last year. Uh, 21 megabytes of storage. It's not 650, okay? No, All right, not I even close. It. But it's a lot more than a floppy, and it's democratic. And this is my bigger problem with CDs. This is a publisher's tool, right? This isn't something that, you know, really, you know, harkens back to, to I think, what really the true spirit of a lot of, of comp- what makes computing interesting for a tyke like me. Is something that you can you can share, you know, CDs. I can't share anything with that. That's you know, yeah, I can sure I can give the disc to somebody else. Yeah, exactly. Somebody can put it in their own machine. It's just like a book. You can't share a book either. But that doesn't make books bad. These are the new books. I I I mean, there's Time Magazine already has an Operation Desert Storm CD-ROM. It's like instant history reference. There's the Britannica Family Choice CD-ROM. So instead of buying a huge tome of you know 32 volumes one slim cd now gives the family the access to the britannica this is huge i'm not saying that i don't want cds at all i'm saying they are fundamentally way less interesting than some of these uh, upgrades to floppies which by the way are backwards compatible so you you still have the same looking drive there you have all your floppies you can use your six floppies install windows 3.1 or whatever you want to do and you know, then you just get that added capacity as opposed to this very specialized. And I agree with you, Roger, when you mentioned, you know, kind of this archival uh, uh, situation here, because with those access times, it's more similar to tape than not. I, I'm going to say this. This is a good first step. I do not think this is going to be the end in of itself. Um, I, I do believe magneto optical technology will will come along. The biggest drawback is you can't write to them, right? The read-only. That's where the ROM comes in, in the CD-ROM. I think people will demand a technology you can write to in the same way our hard drives can be written to, the same way floppies can be written to. Uh, I, I think I think we're just beginning to... We're starting the, the nascent evolution of this technology. And eventually, we're going to come on to an optical technology that we can write to and, and use in place of a floppy disk. Like, you could, you just take it. Like the... Like, uh, the you know, Steve Jobs uh, is, has been rumored to be working on a machine that allows uh, 
that very thing where they eliminate the floppy drive. Steve uh, Jobs, though, isn't he washed up? Hey, you know, it's not about Steve. It's about these technology. Like, we're living in a golden period of technology. All these things are coalescing together. Yeah, but you can't just eliminate a floppy drive. That's what everybody still has. You can't just say, well, no, our machines don't have the floppy drive. That would just upset people. No one would buy it. I mean, what? What? I'm more interested in what the next, you know, we went from five and a quarter to three and a half. What's the next floppy drive? What's the higher capacity that I can use to to save and, and store my data? It's called floptical, Tom. Yeah, maybe it's, it's it is. It's going to be optical. It's going to be optical. Well, thanks to everybody who participates in our news groups. You guys are the best. You can submit stories and vote on them at alt.dailytechnews. You can also look for our posts on Gopher. And by the way, a, a, a small group of us in Sebastopol get together at Coffee Cats every Saturday mm. to, uh, to sort of share news items and yell at each other. I mean, until we could, I don't know, be some sort of a, let's call it a social network on you know the BBS in any way that made sense. You still got to do it in person. Yeah, we we do uh, something very similar at Trinos over in Urbana. So check us out there. Thanks to Rich Strafolino for being a second grader. You are very well versed in no technology. Uh, uh, tell folks uh, where they can keep with up with you after school gets out. Uh, well, you can come to my uh, first communion in May. Uh, that's going to be a blast. Um, but uh, you can also find me uh, on any potential uh, uh, networks that may exist uh, at uh, Mr. Anthropology, MR Anthropology. Uh, there will be, there's a Sega Tassanchiro uh, gif going on uh, right there. Uh, so uh, whenever Christmas comes, have a merry one. Yes, absolutely. And uh, folks, don't forget uh, that we are available in lots of different places. Uh, In fact, if you want to support us, uh, you can use the new World Wide Web, dailytechnewsshow.com slash support to find out all the ways you can contribute to the show, including our mailing address. Our email address. All right. Make sure you have a pen and paper because you don't want to get this wrong. Feedback and then the at sign and then dailytechnewsshow.com. You can also find us on the brand new World Wide Web at www.dailytechnewsshow.com. And uh, there is no show tomorrow. Uh, We will, in fact, uh, be off, uh, but we'll be back with our holiday co-listener episode on December 26th, 2018, through some kind of magical time travel. Talk to you then. This show is part of the Frog Pants Network. Get more at frogpants.com. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> I forgot there was music there. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. Hey, a little time uh, travel. You guys want a little blast from the past? Yes. You want, want, to, want to feel a little nostalgic? Look yes. what I have. It's a Rubik's Cube. <laughs> what? Oh, that's so, Remember those? so cute. Yeah. I mean, Rubik's Cube was, I, I think I had one in the early 80s. Yeah. And I took all the stickers off. And then, and just, re- and you, <laughs> and then I was like, to my mom, I was like, look, I did it. And she was like, no, you didn't. Yeah, I was just digging around at some stuff and I <laughs> okay. found this old thing. It's pretty cool. Uh, that's great. The Rubik's Cube. That, see, that's one of those things that's infuriating. I can't get it. I can't do it. I, I can do it uh, if I look up uh, the directions in my Solve the Rubik's Cube book that I got at Walden Books. That's the only way I could oh. solve it. I can solve two sides. That's, that's where it ends. Mm.
I have uh, yeah. two brothers who are attention deficit, so those aren't welcome uh, in our house. Ooh, I see. Yeah. Mm. Well, uh, thanks, everybody. I got to get back to uh, to reading my uh, election resources here. Um, but uh, uh, thanks, everybody, for, for joining us. Um, yeah, there's a new ep- uh, episode of Batman the Animated Series. It's about to come on. Oh, and yeah. I do okay. not want to miss that. I'm hearing right. play face. All right. We'll see you guys later. Bye. I'm going to Nirvana concerts. Yeah. Happy Halloween. Watch me on channel two. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.